In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hi guys, welcome back to Craigslist. We took a week off for Thanksgiving. Also, we're currently in London, England. Not not right this second. We're not currently there. When you're listening to this, no, I don't know when you're listening to this. When this is released, we're going to be in London, England. Correct. Yeah. Right now we're in Virginia. <laughs> we're in jolly old Virginia. <laughs> I don't think they talk like that here. <laughs> well, you haven't spent enough time here. To know that. Yeah, we're recording this in the house that I grew up in. In your sister's bedroom. In my sister's bedroom. Uh, we're looking at a family photo uh, of a bunch of my family at the lake, and we're all wearing matching T-shirts that say, Five Boys and Six Gulls. What? Oh. <laughs> what does that mean? Well... Boys and girls, but when you're on the ocean, that gets translated to bo- uh, buoys and gulls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the fifth boy? One, two, three, four. Yeah, I don't know. One, two, three, four, five. And who is the sixth girl? Uh, you know, I think that was the name of the house that we stayed in. Oh. Uh, and I guess maybe my sister had matching T-shirts made. That's so weird. Did you ever get your t-shirt? Nope. Never got one. You didn't take that trip. I didn't go on that trip. (laughs) I don't think we were married yet. No. We were not. So So I didn't go on any family trips. (laughs) You weren't invited. Uh, Hey, this is a podcast about movies, but there's a lot going on in the world. We haven't Uh, recorded a podcast since... The day uh, of the election. Since the day of the election. We had Ben Acker over at our house. And were we cautiously optimistic? Were we pessimistic? We had voted already when we recorded. Yeah, I think we thought... I think we thought we were going to (laughs) win. Now, when you say we... I mean us. Um, Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's been a tough couple weeks since the election. It's not even been two weeks yet. It has not been two weeks. Maybe maybe 10 days? Yeah. 10 days? We kept hinting in previous podcasts over the last few months that the world might end. Oh, God. And I guess the world ended. So... Yeah, I guess so. So that gives me just extra motivation to get all the way through these hundred movies. Ugh. Right, Carla? Yeah, I just don't have any sense of humor right now. I I feel like I've been hung over <laughs> since the morning after the election, even though I didn't drink. Uh-huh. I, uh, yeah, I'm just not coping well. <laughs> okay. But you're going to be funny today, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> we'll see. I'll okay. do my best. Uh, so... This week's movie happens to be a particularly depressing one. Yeah, it's like you couldn't have picked a worse movie for me to have to watch right now. Well, you know, the timing is accidental. It's not intentional. Sure, I understand. Uh, But yeah, right after Trump was elected, this was the next movie on the docket. And I feel like you did everything you could to avoid watching it. Yeah, we watched it in two parts, I think. We watched one part in Kentucky. One part in Kentucky, one part in Virginia. My family home. Yes. (laughs) The second part in your family home. Yeah, we did a little red state, blue state thing. Did the movie feel different in different environments? Nope. (laughs) Felt depressing (laughs) in both. Okay. This week's movie is uh, a 1997 flick, feel good flick by uh, Adam McGoyan. Uh, the uh, Armenian-Canadian filmmaker, and it's called The Sweet Hereafter. Yep. And uh, it's about a bus crash that kills uh, most of the kids in one small town. <sighs> and uh, the aftermath of uh, lawsuits. Uh, and we meet a bunch of different characters uh, in this small town. And uh, the whole movie is told uh, out of order as well. So that's a big part, uh, I think, of the appeal of the sweet hereafter mm-hmm. uh, is the amount of craft that Mr. Agoyan, uh put into it. Yep, all those <laughs> things are true. <laughs> had you seen? You had seen this movie. Before. I had. Yeah, I saw this movie maybe ten years ago. 
Did you see it on the boat? Did I make, make I you watch it the have. first time? You didn't make me. I wanted to. I'm a big Sarah Polly fan. Um, and I had always wanted to see it and it was one that I had always meant to watch. I remember. And then, um, and then, yeah, it was, we were touring with second city on a cruise ship about 10 years ago. And this was right around the time when I thought that I had seen time bandits, (laughs) (laughs) but had not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But you remember watching this. I do. Yeah. Yes. And I remember what happened in it. And you thought you'd never have to watch it again. It's pretty sad. It's quite, it's quite good though. I mean, it really is. It's very gripping and, uh, emotionally charged, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which probably made it extra tough right now. Sure. Well, we watched the first part at my house, my parents' house in Kentucky. And then <laughs> we got to your parents' house yesterday and your mom made us watch John Oliver's season finale, which was all about Trump, of course. Yes. And how terrible 2016 has been. Yeah, fuck 2016 was the recurring theme of that episode. And then she yeah. made us watch Kate McKinnon sing Hallelujah on SNL. As Hillary Clinton. As Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and then we watched the rest of this movie. <laughs> we the sweet after, sweet hereafter. We were already crying. It was just a tough night. And then now we have to go. We're traveling tonight. And I was like, ugh, tough. But yeah, we got to get this uh, in the can mm-hmm. so our fans can hear it. Get- uh, all 12 of you. <laughs> uh, so it, it was important to us. We, we we did take a week off for Thanksgiving just because we wouldn't be able to record two podcasts prior to London. But we're getting this in the can. And I think we should be back on schedule because uh, we'll watch some movies while we're in London, right? Yeah. Hopefully we'll have time. We might be two weeks behind, but we'll figure it out. You'll tweet it out. I'll tweet it out. Yeah. Uh, you're playing with a, uh, a Rubik's magic snake right now, <laughs> <laughs> but this, uh, of course, not my childhood bedroom, but my sister's, but for some reason, all of my Rubik's toys are in here. <laughs> are you familiar with the magic snake? No, I didn't know what it was. Yeah, that's what it is. I it's just a, picked it up. It's a lesser Rubik toy. A lesser? Yeah. Meaning less popular or lesser less, quality? Less, <laughs> less popular. I think the quality. So, hey, it's still holding up 30, 30 years later. It's not as smart clearly. as the regular Rubik's yeah. Cube. Well, the snake, you can turn it into kind of a, a ball and you can stretch it out uh, flat like one snake and you can just bend it in different directions. This definitely feels like a toy from the 70s. Yeah. Well, the 80s. The 80s. Why were you playing with this in the 80s? How old were you? Uh, well. 22. <laughs> I was not 22 at any point during the 80s. Uh, I ranged from 10 to 19 different oh. points during the uh, the 80s. At 10 to 20. Okay. Yeah. My formative years. The I'm a child of the 80s, Carla. I am. We've covered this. Well, no. Yeah, I am. Yeah, you were born in 1980, but I'm a child of the 80s. Oh, boy. When you're Is this te- a competition? When your teens are all in the 80s, that means that's those are your formative years. Okay, you win. You're a child of the 90s. You win. You win. You're a millennial. No, I'm not. Yeah. We've covered this before, we right? We have. I'm yeah. Gen X. And I'm Gen Y. Yeah. I'm like, here we are now. Entertain us. And you're all like, Jen, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> What's your problem with Jen? What did she do to you? <laughs> Jen, Jen, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> so the sweet hereafter. Oh, so sad. Uh, it's a mostly Canadian cast. Mostly shot in Canada. Uh, I believe they shot it in beautiful British Columbia. Some really stunning uh, mountainous mm-hmm. and snowy uh, scenery. Uh, I think they shot some scenes in Toronto as well. Uh, I believe everybody's Canadian except the lead actor, Mr. Ian Holm, who is English. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the reasons I love this movie is uh, I really think it's maybe one of the best performances I've ever seen for Ian Holm. Mm. Uh, he's just fantastic in this movie. He is very good. Mm -hmm. And similar to De Niro in King of Comedy, it's really kind of a repugnant character. Mm -hmm. Except this guy's not insane. He's a lawyer. Right. Uh, and in kind of a sleazy lawyer, though he's, you get the sense that he's good at what he does. Yeah. You get the sense that he has a lot of money and he's won a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, trying to, to 
sue big companies and get uh, get a cut for himself. And you see how he manipulates different people and mm-hmm. kind of tells them what they want to hear uh, in order to get them to sign up for this class action lawsuit against the the bus company. Uh, I suppose is, is who they're suing. Um, Ian Holm, uh, I, in looking him up on IMDb, uh, I think he might be the actor who's in more of my top 100 than any other actors. Really? Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm interested now in doing the stats. It would take me a while to compile these stats, but he's, <laughs> he's in six of the top 100. Really? Yeah. Wow. And one of them There's is. There's a clue for listeners. There is a clue for listeners. The ones we've covered already, of course, are The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, where he mm-hmm. plays Bilbo Baggins, Time Bandits, where he plays Napoleon. Oh, right. And, uh, and The Sweet Hereafter. But there's three more Ian Holm joints still to come. Wow. And one of them, I will say, is not Alien, which is maybe the movie that he's best known for other than The Lord of the Rings. That's a great movie. Movies. Yeah. He, of course, is the android in Alien, but we don't find that, that out till later. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> and John Hurt has a alien pop out of his stomach in that movie too. Um, yeah, it's such a, uh, and there's a scene, uh, well, let, let me tell you a little more about the movie if you, if you haven't seen it. Uh, it, it really does take a while to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, because the whole thing is told out of sequence and you gives you a little bit of the story at the time. So we meet several of these characters uh, in different settings, but it does kind of revolve around Mitchell Stevens, the lawyer as the main character. And uh, he has a daughter who's a drug addict, Zoe. Uh, we see him taking phone calls from her. She clearly is in uh, Toronto if he's in British Columbia, because it's always... <laughs> It's light where she is, where it's dark where he is, right. and vice versa. Yeah. So clearly they're in different time zones, or maybe that's just a uh, an error on the part of the filmmakers, but I, I doubt that it is. I, I got the sense that she was in Toronto as well. Okay. Good call. Um, and then we see we also see these scenes with him on a plane two years after the lawsuit. Um. Oh, it was two years after. Yeah. There's <laughs> God, I, the, I will say the, the jumping around in time is very confusing. It feels a lot like Westworld. <laughs> Although that has not been confirmed yet. Carla has theories on Westworld that we think are true, but has not been confirmed. I think, okay, you have a chance to turn this off right now if you don't okay, want my theory. Okay, we're going to talk about Westworld. Westworld spoilers right now. But I think that we're watching different timelines in Westworld. Is my guess. Well, you're not the only person who thinks that because on the AV Club comment section, uh, there are people who are already referring to the man in black, Ed Harris's character, as the same character as Jimmy Simpson's character. But I said that. Carla did say that without looking online anywhere. Like she picked it up a long time ago. And as she was explaining her theory to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, she also called Jeffrey Wright as a, uh, as a host. Mm-hmm. Uh, right I mean, away, from... we need to stop talking about it because people are going to get mad. Okay. Hopefully, they turned it off. We told you, we told you, spoilers. Yeah. But I think this is stuff that's it's probably already been resolved on the show itself by now. Okay, and definitely people are talking about it. But uh, Carla is pretty good at this stuff, so I was surprised you didn't notice that when Ian Holm checks into the hotel uh, in the small town. There's a close-up on a calendar which says 1995. Oh. Then when it cuts to him on the airplane, there's a monitor that says 1997. <laughs> I did not notice that. I really didn't. I actually was going to call it out. I was just like, oh, really obvious time jump there. You know, I I probably wasn't paying as much attention to this as I should have been <laughs> because it was depressing. <laughs> uh, okay. So go ahead. Keep going. So, yeah, the... Uh, I mean, I definitely knew that the plane was in the future. I just didn't know that it was exactly two years later. Yeah. Uh, so he actually – he's randomly seated next to a woman uh, who was a childhood friend of his daughter's and they kind of uh, catch up and he kind of uh, – we don't really know what's going on in his life at that time. Uh, he says he's going to see Zoe and although this is never made explicit in the movie – um, I've always thought that he's on his way to identify Zoe's body. Oh, 
Yep. But that's just something that I made up that I bet that's true. That it feels like at least regardless of whether it's in the screenplay or not that that's what Ian Holm is playing. Yep. I think um, you're right. That she's dead and he is on her way to uh to pick up her body or, or whatever. Yep. Um so he's really like distracted and barely kind of paying attention to her, but she in and he ends up telling this whole monologue about when Zoe was a baby and she had a spider bite and uh, that they had, to, they thought she was going to die. They had to take her to the hospital and he was prepared to give her an emergency tracheotomy. He was holding a knife to her throat in the car in case she stopped breathing. And it's just one of the, the best acted monologues that I've yeah. ever seen in a movie. It's, it's so fantastic. And there's also these images early in the movie that he going and puts out there of uh, this young couple and a baby sleeping between them on a mattress. And we don't really know what it means till later till they cut back and forth with him in the monologue. And finally, it kind of places that image in mind. So there's whole just uh, recurring themes throughout this whole movie about uh, parents' relationships to their children and losing a child. Um <laughs> It's really, it's really heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, but it, it's so well done. It's so poetically handled, I think. And just the way that he juxtaposes, um, scenes from different timelines, uh, to bring out themes, uh, is really well handled. Agreed. Um, and Sarah Polly, uh, I, I thought, oh, oh, this is probably the first movie I saw her in. But of course, she's in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, another Terry Gilliam joint. She is the child in that movie. When oh, she I've was, never seen that. She was about nine years old in it. So she's kind of the main character in it, along with Baron Munchausen. I think the first thing I ever saw her in was Go. Which would have been around the same time, right? Maybe a year or two after was, Sweet Hereafter. When would Sweet Hereafter come out? 97. Yeah, I feel like it was maybe 98, 99. Yeah, I think you're right. So she was around 18 when she did this movie and she's just fantastic as yeah. well. Uh, and she's quite, uh, the filmmaker now. She mm -hmm. wrote and directed three fantastic movies, which I, I think I called away from her, away with her. Yeah, it's away from her. <laughs> Last time. <laughs> away with her. Away with her. <laughs> Get her out of here. Goodbye. That's, that's more the Hillary Clinton story. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready to joke about it now, right? No. <laughs> uh, away with her. No, away from her. <laughs> stories we tell. And take this waltz. Take this waltz. Uh, really good movie too. It's an okay movie. Yeah, you had some problems with it. It like it was it really great. falls apart in the it third was great, act, and then it took a weird turn at the end. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but Michelle Williams is great in that movie. Yeah. As always. But I love Away From Her and Stories <laughs> We Tell. And so Sarah Polly plays the one, uh, she's a, she's a teenager and, uh, she's the one town child who survives the bus crash. Is All she the only child who survives? Well, she has a younger daughter who was sick the day of the bus crash. A younger sister. A younger sister. Right. Uh, yeah. She was sick and uh, that's how that is explained. She's about the only other child we see in the present day yeah, in you're the right. town. So it, it's basically like the town lost all of their children oh. in, uh, in one crash. And, uh, and, but she, uh, becomes paralyzed, uh, in this and, uh, and she's also being sexually abused by her father Ugh. in this movie. <laughs> just God to, damn it. It's really rough. Just to add compounding the terrible things that, <sighs> that are happening. Uh, and Bruce Greenwood, another great, uh, Canadian actor is in this movie and he plays Billy, uh, who's a mechanic and, uh, his two kid. he loses his two kids. He's already lost his wife to cancer. So he's <sighs> a single dad. Sarah Polly babysits, uh, for his children and he always follows the bus in his truck every day. So he watched this bus crash happen, uh, firsthand, um, and Bruce Greenwood is maybe one of those just like great character actors who's always excellent in everything, but that people never talk about him. What else has he been in? I recognized him. Well, uh, so many things. Um, he was on Mad Men, uh, though I'm trying to think of who he played, some sort of ad exec. Mm -hmm. Um, he played Capote's boyfriend in Capote. Oh, wow. Um, 
He played the previous captain of the Enterprise in the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. Oh, cool. Uh, that Chris Pine takes over from him. Um, he, he's actually, oh, yeah. he's, he's very great. versatile mm-hmm. and he's always very different and he's just kind of like a small town, like, you know, um, guitar playing mechanic in this. He also played, did he play John F. Kennedy in 13 days? I think you're right. Yeah. He's so versatile. Yeah, he's incredible. That's why he's he's hard to remember exactly. Yep, but uh, all of those things, yeah. What he's been in. And one of the things I like about this movie is that uh not only that monologue by Ian Holm, but uh you go in and really like lets p- things play out over the faces of actors a lot in this movie. And he's got so many good actors in it and so there's a lot of just like good like silent moments silent moments and tension uh and pauses in it and he just lets things play out um this certainly could have been more heavy-handed or or histrionic but it's just kind of quiet and sad and you just get to watch great writing great actors Mm -hmm. great editing (laughs) great editing too Mm -hmm. uh not a lot of Carla's quotes this week. No, I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> Carla was sad. <laughs> Let's see if the quotes reflect that. Wait, first time. We didn't do your first time. Oh, my first time. I definitely saw this movie when it came out, probably the week it came out. I think there was a four-star Roger Ebert review. I lived in Chicago at the time. came out uh, around Christmas season of 97, and I saw it at the Fine Arts Theater, which I don't know if that's still there. I don't think it is. Oh, it's not? I saw a lot of movies there too. Uh, Fine Arts is right by Columbia College where you went mm-hmm. in Chicago, right? I saw Life is Beautiful there. I saw I Life saw... is Beautiful there too. What if we were in the same we screening? We might have been in the same screening. Carla and I lived in Chicago at the same time but didn't know each other there. But the, since then, we've discovered so many times where we think we were in the same place at the same time. Yeah. Including my Second City shows that you went to see. Yep. And you're like, that guy is a stud. Yeah, Tellerico. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Rich Tellerico. I'm gonna marry that guy someday. <laughs> Kidding. You got Kakowski instead. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, I'll have to look up if the fine arts is still there. But it was kind of like the art house mm-hmm. uh, in Chicago, and um, I remember people. Uh, I never saw this firsthand, but people would tell me they would see rats in that theater. Oh. Uh, that I think Tracy Thorpe told me once that she put down a bucket of popcorn and then like heard something munching on her popcorn. Oh. <laughs> a few minutes no. later, yeah. Uh, I also saw what I saw: Remains of the Day. There, I saw Howard's End. There, I saw a lot of art movies. What in was the nineties? The, um, there, the movie with Emily Emily Watson, where she breaking play- the waves. No, where she plays the cello. Oh, Hillary and Jackie. Hillary and Jackie. Yeah, I with saw Rachel that Griffiths. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good movie. Yeah, that is a really good movie. Yeah. Emily Watson, another of my favorite actors. I wanted her to, to win that, that year instead of Gwyneth Paltrow for Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. You can't. Uh... Go back and watch Shakespeare in Love. Gwyneth Paltrow's not that good in it. She's fine. <laughs> You've brought this up multiple times in this podcast. Have I really? <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah. When we talked about Seven, you were dissing Gwyneth in Shakespeare in Love specifically. Um... So I only got like 10 opinions and I just recycled them. (laughs) I only got. (laughs) Number one, Gwyneth Paltrow was just okay in Shakespeare in Love. Number two. Um, Hillary should have won. (laughs) Number three. I don't know. Okay. Two opinions by Carla. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only two things. I feel like every time we do one of these, you're like, we've already been talking about that. (laughs) We've already talked about that. Okay. I wouldn't, you know, it's fine. It's not a bad thing. It's just. Recurring themes. These are recurring themes. We'll see how many more times Gwyneth Paltrow comes up on this podcast. The first time I saw this movie was on the boat. And it was like at a time when I was reading a lot of dark shit. <laughs> so you didn't mind. You could handle it. Yeah. I, was, I, just, I think I just read The Road <laughs> when I That's watched right. this movie. Yes. You read The Handmaid's Tale <laughs> Yes, too? The Handmaid's Tale, The Road, <laughs> and Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. Which is funny, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah, we we were just cooped up on this boat and we watched a lot of depressing movies, read a lot of depressing books. I think it's books, because but somehow it worked. Well, you're surrounded by so much um, fake fakery <laughs> and so many <laughs> fake tourists. Happiness. Yeah, yes. that you're like, you have to go to the extreme uh, <laughs> to feel like you're a human being. 
Yeah. You were in the mood for a little more of a feel-good movie this week. Oh, my gosh. We I just go- wanted to watch Spy last night. That's all <laughs> That's I wanted right. to watch. We kept, you guys kept turning We kept it. going to the DVR and Spy with Melissa McCarthy was on. And that's like that's the definition of just like a hilarious feel-good movie. I love good that movie. movie. It's really funny. And your mom really wanted to cry. So she made us watch that. Hallelujah. That's right. Uh, I think our next movie will be a little more of a feel-good movie. Okay, well, don't tell me yet. I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, I also remember the fine arts. uh, There was a little diner that was in front of it, and I would always go and get an order of fries and a vanilla milkshake after seeing a movie. You know what the name of that diner was? The Artist's Cafe. That's right, The Artist's Cafe. (laughs) It was for artists only, right? Yeah, supposedly. (laughs) Uh, When I first moved to Chicago, I went there all the time because I was like, I'm an artist. I should be able to eat here. (laughs) And I got those fries. Yeah. They were the thin kinds. Were they at artist prices? I don't remember. Probably not. It feels like that whole complex was connected to like the symphony. It was, yeah. Yeah, and the opera or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, it was all part of that complex. So. There was like a huge um, auditorium where the symphony played in there. And I once went to see Wendy Wasserstein speak before she passed hmm. away. Um, the day before she passed the away? The day before. Um, and then I also saw, oh, oh no. Oh no. Egon. What's his name? Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis, of course. How can I remember the artist cafe, but I can't remember Harold Ramis? Well, you remember he was Egon. Oh, <laughs> I went to see him talk after Analyze This. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, there's my life story. <laughs> Carlos Quotes. Moving yeah, on. Yeah. Okay. Carlos Quotes. <laughs> At the beginning of the movie, uh, Mitchell Stevens, Ian Holmes' character, gets stuck in a car wash. Uh, but for a while, and he's taking this phone call from his drug addicted daughter. Uh, but we don't know he's actually stuck there for a while. So before that, Carla's like, longest car wash ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then he has to get, get out. He like tries to open an umbrella in there. Yeah. <laughs> everything. I think actually the noises were bothering me. That's why I said that. The noises of the car wash. I get real sensitive about noise and yeah. it was just the same noise for too long. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the car wash is a metaphor for? Um, life pushing you back and forth <laughs> and I don't know, washing off all the dirt. Well, one thing we, we do see. Did you listen is, to my yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you prompted me. Uh, I, I like answered. That. I like that answer. Just kidding. Go. <laughs> one thing we see. Well, we see, uh, a light in the distance, you know, so he's going through, you know, an old school car wash where you go in and you get the the fucking stuff it slaps your car slapping your it can't windows be good and for everything. your car i used to love going through those car washes when i was a kid i did not and, i felt trapped they're very rare in la you know it's more of the you well you give your car to somebody else the automated car wash where you drive through is what i'm mm-hmm. talking about but there's a great shot of him in the car wash and you just kind of see the light in the distance mm-hmm. so that could be the sweet hereafter it could be uh, the a- it could be the afterlife it could be the light at the end of darkness in your life but at the very end of the movie the the final shot of sarah polly looking out the window and then there's a flash of light which oh, could yeah. be billy Br- bruce greenwood's character coming back home uh from his affair at the motel right and it's just his car pulling into the driveway it could be uh, it could be the afterlife or, you know, so it's kind of like it mirrors a shot at the beginning of the movie. Of Interesting. Ian Holm at the car wash and Sarah Polly, uh, at the end of the movie. Um, uh, this must have been, oh, they, they cut to a shot of Zoe, his daughter. Uh, and it, it's probably the most eye rolling thing in the movie because she's like, uh, she's clearly like picking up drugs and there's like gangster rap playing in the background. Yeah. There's like uh steam coming off of like uh, subway grates. Uh, there's kind of like drug dealers and she's at a payphone. It's really over the top. It's a little over the top, uh, compared to the rest of the movie. I would say the stuff, the Zoe stuff, uh, is the weakest stuff mm-hmm. in, in the movie. Maybe the actress just isn't very good. Yeah. Um, but she's wearing kind of a fuzzy coat and uh Carla's like, Kate Hudson, right? <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to Penny Lane and uh Almost Famous. Um, Well, she was wearing a coat and her hair looked like Kate Hudson. Okay. There you go. And she was being loud and annoying. <laughs> Not a fan of Kate Hudson? No, I am. <laughs> Generally. Uh, and then after that scene was done of him talking to his daughter, Carly's like, depressing, depressing shit. Scene one. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I didn't keep up that pattern at all. No, I would have loved that pattern to go on. Depressing uh, shit. Scene two. <laughs> Oh, I guess this was still here because you said, yikes, death by car wash. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you were talking a lot at the beginning of this. 90% of these quotes are from the first car wash scene. Are they really? <laughs> I didn't talk at all last night. No, you didn't. <laughs> you were so happy. No, you didn't. <laughs> um, an early scene in the movie is that uh, we meet the uh, the bus driver, Dolores. She was uh, driving when we had the crash. And we also see scenes with her talking to the uh, lawyer. Uh, but they go to a county fair in the town where we see Dolores and all the kids are in the bus. And Sarah Polly uh, can walk. And uh, and she's in a band and she's singing at, at the fair. Uh, but there's a scene of Dolores letting all the kids off uh, to go to the county fair. Um and uh, she says, wiggle your nose and have fun. It's like the last rule. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. She yeah, lists off like some the rules. like the rules of like, you know, stick rule with your buddy one, and everything. Rule number one, stick with your buddy. Rule yeah. number two, if you get lost, come find me. Rule number three. Wiggle your, wiggle your nose and have fun. Wiggle your nose and have fun. <laughs> and Carly said, wiggle your nose and have fun. I'm going to keep saying that on our trip to you every time you're being cranky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you reminded me. Here's the problem. I can't wiggle my nose. You can't? Can't wiggle my nose. Let me see. Yeah, you can't. I can't wiggle my nose. Can't. Oh, you can wiggle your nose. It's more my nostrils that I'm wiggling. I can't wiggle my nose. Can't wiggle my ears. Can you wiggle your oh. eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with this? <laughs> can you wiggle your eyebrows? Yeah, you can I do can't that. isolate my eyebrows though. I have, I guess, I have weird things going on with my facial muscles where I'm not in full control of them. Hmm. Uh, Wouldn't be able to guess that watching Drug History. <laughs> <laughs> I also can't. Uh, I don't whistle or snap correctly. Either. That's true. Uh, and I think I said that I improvised a line like that as Felton in a uh, Sparks Nevada episode. <laughs> to oh, really? That, to that effect? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, one of the first places that Ian Holm visits in the town is he checks in at the motel and he meets the motel owners who are a couple and they lost a child in the bus crash. And, uh, they're going over the, the gossip in the town because he's asking them about all of the other parents and, uh, the, the guy has dirt on every single parent. Uh, and Carla's like, Oh, this guy's a real negative Nancy. Uh, <laughs> That uh, both of those actors, by the way, who are quite good, Maury Chaikin and Alberta Watson, have both passed away. Really? Yeah. Was she the one who was having an affair? Yeah, she's having an oh. affair with Billy Bruce Greenwood's character. How did she pass away? She, she looks so young. She had cancer. She died when oh. she was sixty. I think they both died around sixty. Oh God! And uh, she was also in Twenty Four. She was in the first couple seasons of Twenty Four. Depressing scene number three. And uh, Maury Chaikin, one of my favorite. Uh, character actors, and he has one scene in one of my top 100 movies that we'll be covering in a few weeks that is so memorable, a very small part that's super, what is it? super memorable. You want to know? Yeah, well, you can't tell that story and then not tell us, because then the story means nothing. He's in Dances with Wolves. Oh. <laughs> you excited to see Dances with Wolves, Isn't it like by the four way? hours long? There is a four-hour version. I think we'll watch the three-hour version, though that's you, what I said you about- You keep saying that it's going to be shorter. Yeah. I don't think I'll watch that one. I've seen it. You're going to p- take a pass on Dances with Wolves? Okay. I just might. Cool. What else, Craig? <laughs> Similar to Westwood, you said, this is some epic Westworld messing with the timeline bullshit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just say the same things over and over again, you guys. Here's another Carlos quote. Sad. Really fucking sad. <laughs> oh, so sad. I don't even know what that was in reference to. <laughs> Um, oh, one of the things that we see when we see him on the, uh, the airplane is, uh, he doesn't like his food and he tries to return it and he's a real dick to the, uh, the stewardess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, um, what do you have a cold plate? And she's like, yeah, but it has shrimp on it. He's like, well, why don't you take the shrimp off and everything the shrimp touches? And she's like, well, I don't think that'll leave very much. And he's like, well, let's see what we're dealing with then. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the worst. And, and Carla said, "You're really picky." And then she said, "Pre nine eleven airlines, right?" Right. 
I don't know what that has to do with it. I just meant that they're not nearly that attentive anymore. <laughs> right. They have yeah. other stuff to worry about. Now it's more about your safety. Yeah. And then it was more about taking the shrimp off your plate. Um. <laughs> I think I've said that in another podcast, too. About yeah. a joke about somebody flying. Oh, boy. Remember when people meet you at the gate? You get out, you get right off the plane, your family would be right yeah, there to give you a nice. big hug. Doesn't that can't happen anymore? Can't happen anymore. Yeah. And till the end of time, we've got to take off our shoes because one asshole tried to shed his <laughs> set his shoes on fire once. <laughs> one guy tried to blow up his shoes one time, and now all of us always have to take off our shoes forever and ever. I don't think that's a big deal. I hate it. That's why I do pre-check. <laughs> Okay. Craigslist brought to you by TSA PreCheck. <laughs> Only 85 bucks for five years. That's 17 bucks a year. It's worth it, folks. <laughs> Don't take off your shoes. Don't take off your belt. It's not worth it, though, because a lot of times or some of the time, you can't even use the PreCheck line. And then now, pre- <laughs> and now PreCheck is getting like even your mom was saying that the PreCheck line was longer than the regular check-in line the other day. A lot of the cases, a lot of the time, you can't even use the PreCheck line. <laughs> <laughs> Can we move on? Okay. <laughs> uh, clearly, you're referencing the use of the Pied Piper of Hamlin, which is another recurring metaphor throughout this movie. Yeah, I don't know if it's a metaphor. <laughs> An allegory. <laughs> it's pretty uh, obvious. Heavy-handed? It's pretty heavy-handed. Okay. Um, when we do finally get to the <laughs> we uh, get to right before the bus crash, we see Dolores driving the bus, and she's wearing these red earmuffs. <laughs> and Carla says, I want those red earmuffs for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right before the saddest scene right of the whole the film. Right before the saddest scene. That, that's how uh, Carla's dealing with it, is she's thinking about what kind of earmuffs. You know, there's very little need for earmuffs in Los Angeles. But wouldn't it be cool if I had those those pairs? <laughs> Would you wear them? I'd wear them to a Christmas party. Okay. So I didn't have to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> you would literally wear them to muff your ears. I really would. Okay. They're the giant red fuzzy ones. Like, almost like fuzzy dice. Sure. Just the classic earmuffs. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'm so tired of this sad, sad shit. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I've been so sad. I don't want to be sad anymore. Uh, (sighs) Finally, at the end of the movie, we see uh, Sarah Polly's character finally has to give her testimony Mm -hmm. uh, about the bus crash that they've been preparing her for for a while. Um, what's so funny? I know what you're going to say. I remember. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and, uh, and we see her giving her deposition. There's, you know, her lawyers there and then another lawyer for the other side. And there's, uh, well, there's a woman wearing this weird mask that I guess, <laughs> uh, is a stenographer's mask. I had to look it up. It looks like get, it's from Star Wars. It really does. It looks like <laughs> we're in the cantina scene at yeah. Star Wars. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, It's very incongruous. Uh, but I guess, I guess Adam McGoyan says that's the number one question that people have uh, for him about the movie. Really? <laughs> people are like, what's up with that mask? What does it do? I guess the stenographer talks into it and it records oh. it, but it kind of muffles it from anybody else hearing. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. Cause here. I've never seen it. Here, our stenographers just type away. Yeah. They type, type, type away really fast. Well, she was writing. And so I guess, yeah, yeah she needed to record some of it. Anyway, uh, because it's a small town, they probably don't have a courthouse or whatever. And, uh, so they kind of like, there's a pan shot. You see like a pool table and a bar. And Carla's like, it's at a bar. <laughs> it's just, it's like this build up the whole time, the whole movie about whether for the big courtroom. Yeah. Scene. When yeah. Sarah Polly is going to give her testimony and they do this pan and it's literally, uh, air hockey table, yeah. <laughs> pool table, bar. They're and then they're sitting, sitting at a, at a table. But then I wondered, like, maybe they just film filming wise, they couldn't get the uh, <laughs> the permit they needed. No, I think it just indicates that uh, that's what it is. It's a small town. But they have a they have a bar, but they don't have a courthouse in the small uh, small town. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's very little crimes. There's uh, there's one huge tragedy every uh, forty years. Jesus. Where, where all the kids die. Oh boy. Now this is based on a novel. 
uh, by Russell Banks, who is an uh, American writer. And I guess the novel, the novel is set in upstate New York. And, uh, to get Canadian funding, you go in, uh, and it's all Canadian actors again, except for Ian Holm, change the setting to BC. Um, though there's nothing specifically that says Canada in the text. Right. Because I, I, they never name a state or a no. province Mm-mm. or the name of the town or anything, I don't think. Mm-mm. And at the end, when she's get, she, she lies, by the way, um, to kind of, uh, to fuck over her father. Yeah, cause her father wants the money and so he's making her testify and so yeah. she lies so that it throws the case and they don't get the money. Yeah. Uh, and she says that Dolores was speeding and she uses his miles. She said she was going 70 miles an hour, which has got to be from the book because they do kilometers per hour oh. up there. So. I wonder if the movie was still supposed to be in America. Interesting. Uh, I guess. So that, that was something that surprised me. Um, the role of uh, Mitchell Stevens originally went to Donald Sutherland. Mm. Talk about great Canadian actors. I love Donald Sutherland. He's um, so great. He is fantastic. Uh, and for some reason, he pull- maybe he thought this movie was too depressing. <laughs> yeah, he pulled out. <laughs> he pulled out. Mm. And Ian Holm got right in there. Uh, and this, I guess, was his first lead performance and maybe only lead performance of his career. Uh, and he was 65 uh, when he did this movie. Um, what other odds and ends do I have about the switch? Giant cell phones. Giant cell phones. Giant this cell phones, yeah. 1997. Oh, we've come a long way. <laughs> Sarah Polly is a singer in this movie and, uh, she does her version of, uh, of a tragically hip song. Uh, the tragically hip is, of course, the National Band of Canada. You ever heard of them? I've heard of them, yes. You've heard of them because they are the favorite band of Mr. Bob Dassey. Oh, right. Uh, That's why I've heard of them. He our, goes to see them. Our good friend Bob goes to see town. them. Yeah. And they, uh, talk about depressing. The lead singer, uh, I believe is dying of a brain tumor this year. And so this was their final tour. <sighs> 2016, right? Uh, so Bob went to see the, their final uh, show in L.A. Uh, but their song Courage, we hear both the uh, Tragically Hip version of it and the slowed down Sarah Polly version of it. And that's quite a good song. Uh, and I've always meant to get more into their music because Bob has been bugging me about it for years <laughs> and years. So maybe this is the impetus to uh, listen to them more. But they have a follow. They're a cult band in America. But like in Canada, apparently they're like you too. Oh like wow! They're humongous there. Um, <laughs> I counted maybe two jokes in this movie. Uh, so <laughs> sad. And that is like one of my uh, uh, things that I, I hate movies that are take themselves so seriously that they never have a moment of levity, and uh, there really isn't much <laughs> in this one. No, there's not. Um, there's uh the the lawyer gets uh Sarah Polly's character a computer and then after she lies of her testimony gets back in the car she's like you think they'll let me keep the computer <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that like that's kind of a laugh and then there's one other thing where we're we're kind of panning through uh the garage where the um where the the remnants of the bus are the destroyed bus is kind of in the back of Billy's garage. And we hear kind of like this feedbacky, you know, dissonant music. And then we kind of see that there's a guitar just sitting there next to an amp. And the feedback is actually coming from the, uh, the amp in the scene rather oh, yeah. than being on the soundtrack. Not much of a joke, but, <laughs> but a little bit of a filmmaker's joke there. The, uh, the soundtrack is kind of cool. It's like very like medieval sounding, uh, music. And it sounds a little Native American too. Yeah, it's very haunting. The local bar, which they mentioned, but we never see, or I guess this is where the testimony is right. then. Uh, do you remember the name of the bar? Nope. The Spread Eagle. Ooh. <laughs> I guess that could be a joke too. There's also a quote by Ian Holm, uh, on the airplane that kind of epitomizes the movie. And he's talking about his relationship with his daughter and, and, you know, uh, he says what your love turns into. And, uh, and the lady he's talking to is like, what does it turn into? He's like, it turns into steaming piss. (laughs) 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 Oh, so so sad. Your love turns to steaming piss. (laughs) 
is kind of the uh, that's the poster quote for this movie. Um, the end of that monologue uh, about the spider bite, uh, where he's like, uh, "I did not have to go as far as I was prepared to go, but I was prepared to go all the way." Mm-hmm. Uh, is just such a uh, such a great quote. Are you prepared to go all the way, Carla? Um, do I have to? Cut into your throat? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yes. If I get a spider bite, will you uh, will you cut into my throat? Sure. Okay. You don't even have to get a spider bite. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not get overzealous with the emergency tracheotomy. But we, you know, we do know uh, would we know how to do it if it comes up. Yep. You right? just cut right in that little crevice. You just cut right there. I've yeah. seen it on TV a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you stick a pin in there, right? Yep. A straw. It's like a pen or a straw, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can breathe through that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, who do you think the Pied Piper is? Is it her dad or is it the lawyer? Hmm. I thought it felt like they were making a case for all the parents to be the Pied Piper. They're all the Pied Piper. Um, because the idea is the Pied Piper won't pay the town, uh, or he won't return the kids until they've paid him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is a little heavy handed, but it's actually an appropriate metaphor. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, uh, to, uh, Adam Egoyan, uh, who is of Armenian descent, uh, he saw this movie as a metaphor for the Armenian genocide. Oh, wow. So, uh, so there's that too. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, every sad thing you could think of is somehow connected to this movie. Um, and he was Oscar nominated for writing and directing. For this Yay. movie, though Ian Holm was not really nominated, strangely enough, ninety-seven. Uh, it was a lot of big-name actors who were nominated because it was Peter Fonda for Yuli's Gold. Mm-hmm. It was Dustin Hoffman for Wag the Dog. Mm-hmm. It was Jack Nicholson who won for As, as Good As, as, as it, it Gets. It was Gene Hackman. For, really? For something? Really? Maybe not. What was he? What? What would he have been in nineteen ninety-seven? I have no idea. Maybe not. Oh, uh, Matt Damon for Goodwill Hunting. Oh, okay. He was kind of like the kid going. I remember it was four veterans and Matt Damon. Okay. Who was kind of like the hot new one. Uh, so I guess Ian Holm didn't really have a, uh, a shot there. Um, want to do a scene from the movie? Oh my God. <laughs> All right. What scene? Well, uh, I, I guess, Ugh. uh, how about uh how about you be the stewardess and I'll be Ian Holm? Oh, okay, I'll be, yeah, we I'll can be do Mitchell that. Stevens. Okay, good. Um Excuse me. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I'm not very happy with this uh with this plate. Oh, well, we only have one kind of plate here. It's a plastic one with the little flowers. No, 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 the no, 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 the plate specifically. Oh. The food, the food that's on it. It's, oh, of course. I'm sorry. It's, it's stupid little, me. <laughs> the steak is a little too uh, well done. Well done. Oh, okay. So you wanted um, something rare. Do you have one that's more rare? Um. Well, yes, we do. You we do? Have, we have one that's rare. Would you like that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Could okay, I? Great. Yes. Can I get um, the rare steak? Excuse me, ma'am. Please. Ma'am, can I? Uh, I know I just set that rare steak right in front of you. Would you mind if I actually took that back? And do you care? Do you want to do a... Oh, meal? I'm enjoying it. Oh, oh, she already... Oh, okay. Well, please mm. continue on. Oh, this is delicious. I'm sorry, sir. Mm. Um, actually, this this woman is already eating the rare steak that we had. Well, God damn it. I, I, I apologize. I thought she wouldn't have minded just switching out for Look, the my, medium well. My daughter just died of AIDS. Wow. So. What? I'm a lawyer. My goodness. I don't know. I'm not tracking the rare steak with your daughter dying of AIDS. I'm saying that I'm having a difficult day. Oh, of course. Of course. Okay. That's what you meant. Of course. I understand. Um, we have a shrimp plate. Okay. Would okay, you like I'm, that? I would, but I'm horrendously allergic to, to shrimp. So then you would like them killed and cooked first. I can't eat shrimp. At all. It's not getting across. You can't at all. Look. Can you be in the same cabin with them? Because you, the man in front of you is eating shrimp right now. Is it like a peanut allergy? No, it's not an airborne oh, okay. allergy. Okay. It's fine if he's eating it. I can't eat the shrimp. Can you take the shrimp off the plate? Here's the thing. I feel like you might need to just meditate for a little bit. You seem a little stressed I out. I don't meditate. Take okay? a breath. Take a breath. I'm very upset about this Armenian genocide, <gasps> okay? It is very upsetting. It's it a is. a lot going on. 
and this whole Trump election. <laughs> Scene. Man, I'm so depressed. <laughs> Carla, we're leaving for London later I today. Know. It's going to be fun. Yep. Right? It is. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a great time. We had a great time. I'm putting it in the future. We did have a great time. Um, By the time the you're hearing this, we've already been in London. But as we're recording this, we're going to get on a plane in a few hours. And Yay. We're, we're very excited. Well, what's the next movie that we're going to watch? Oh, wait. Then? I have to give it my grade. Carlo, what would you give the sweetie? You always after? forget this segment. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one time I actually really get to say what I thought about the movie. Carla has some real agency and control here. So <laughs> let's move over to Carla's letter grade. A. You give it an A? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, for, uh, I'm depressed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, A-H. Okay. Ah, uh, And depressed. last time for you with this movie, you think? I could probably watch it again. Yeah. Just when things are going better. <laughs> yeah. When you need a little mood shift. Yeah. Yeah. It is a really, really good movie. It's really well done. Yeah. It's very gripping. It's very, um, very thematic. You're going to think about it for a long, long time. I highly recommend you guys watching it. It just came up in the wrong time in the rotation for you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think the next movie, uh, is a little more enjoyable. Uh, though there's sad elements to it too. I, I actually think it's a movie that pulls you, it, it a movie that made me laugh. Thrilled me and moved me. Finding Nemo. <laughs> it is not Finding Nemo. <laughs> uh, it's actually one of only two documentaries on my entire top 100. Oh, I know what it is. Uh, the movie's called Man on Wire. Yep. And it came out in 2007, I think, and directed by James Marsh. 2008, it's I believe. It's a great movie. And it's the story of how Philippe Petit tightroped between the World Trade Center towers. And uh, it's such uh, – we've watched it together before. So, I've seen it a couple times. Yeah. It's also on the shorter side. So yeah. uh, it's probably an hour and a half. We'll watch it in London. And then we'll record it uh, when we get back in Virginia. And we'll be right back on schedule. So Yay. Uh, please uh, enjoy your time in uh, this new American country that we're oh, in. God. If that's where you're listening to us. Uh, if you're in Canada or uh, Britain or uh, anywhere else, enjoy your time even more. What are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a, I'm as upset uh, as you about this election. I know. You're putting on a braver face. Yeah. But I also like sad movies, <laughs> too. Because I have a happy life. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm a happy person. I do comedy for a living. So you'd think that I would have tons of comedy on my list. But instead, I have tons of sad, Saturday. serious movies. Because I view art like a drug. It's a mood-altering substance. Mm. And so we seek out art that makes us feel different things than we experience in life. Most people's lives are really difficult, and so they seek out art that is uplifting or funny or feel-good. Not you. I'm the other way. Uh, I laugh all day and then... (laughs) Cry. And then cry in my art. Okay, great. I love you, Carla. You too. We love you, listeners. Bye. Bye. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>